Canine Detection Collaborative, a detection dog training trio with Stacy Barnett. Hi. Robin Grubel. Hey there. And Crystal Wing. What's up? With humor and a big dose of theory, our trio talks practical training advice and features interviews with top trainers and scientists. It's Canine Detection Collaborative! Hi guys, this is Stacey Barnett from Canine Detection Collaborative, and I'm here with a very, very special guest, and we'll be introducing you as a very special surprise. I'm really excited about this. And I'm also here with one of my co-hosts. I've got uh, Robin Grubel here. Hello. Hello. And I would like to introduce you to a very, very special guest where we are really excited to have on with us, Amy Hero. My pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Very excited. This is super exciting. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for those of you who may not be in the sport world, uh, Amy is one of the founders of Nose work. And it's so wonderful to have you here. And then, you know, we're we're really, really looking forward to to speaking with you. So, you know, maybe to kind of level set, because again, we we get listeners who are, you know, from different, all different sides, right? So we've we've got people on the sports side, we've got people on on the professional side, and and that's why we're the canine detection collaborative. It truly is a collaborative. Uh, thing. So um, I was wondering if maybe you could just kind of give us a little bit of background about yourself and, um, you know, and kind of maybe a little bit about your story and how this whole wonderful thing that that's, <laughs> that's brought us all together, um, how this was created, you know, if you could maybe give us a little bit of background on that, that'd be awesome. For sure. Well, first of all, I was a dog trainer to start. So that's what my background and my heart was in that place of training and, and doing behavior consults and things like that. I, I did a lot of uh, shelter volunteer work and I, I worked with a lot of uh, dog aggression cases and just, you know, family pet kind of training. And it's interesting, my own start in detection came from uh, having a problem dog <laughs> who needed a job and desperately needed to channel that energy. And it, I kind of fell into it in some ways because of looking for solutions for that dog. And that dog ended up being a, a really important dog in my life who went on to be my my first amazing narcotics detection dog. So, and that dog really inspired so much of kind of what I feel is like the heart behind a lot of the NACSW mission and, and not just me alone. I mean, Ron and Jill, of course, my my partners felt the same way. They had their own things that brought them to that. But knowing that there's all these working dogs out there and these special breeds and these dogs with special needs that that need that need that outlet so desperately. And that was really, you know, that just opened my eyes. The the world of detection just fascinated me. And I did that for quite some time. Ron and I worked together for quite a long time in detection. And I simultaneously was working with Jill at the animal shelter. She was running the animal shelter in Long Beach, California, or running the behavior and training department, that is. And she joined our detection training group. And part of what we did in working with Jill and sort of bridging the gap between detection and the shelter work was we evaluated a lot of detection dogs, shelter dogs, you know, for potential detection. And lots of them didn't make it 
for all sorts of reasons, too old, too big, bad legs, you know, bad hips, whatever. And we just kept lamenting like how sad it was that these dogs were clearly really good at it. Like they'd be really great for detection, except they had bad hips or except they were eight years old. And that's kind of where those kernels of ideas started. Like, couldn't we just take this kind of box game that we start a lot of our detection dogs? Couldn't we just do that part with some some of these dogs? And, you know, we talked about it more and more. And Ron had started a class where he was showing people how to have their dog find them, you know, just like a basic search class and kind of all those ideas came together. And then we started this, you know, more formal class of doing the box work. And uh, Ron and I talked the first couple of classes and Jill helped put it all together as the head of the training department there. And, and when we first started, it was just I think we advertised the classes. Did you ever want to have your dog find your keys or your wallet or things like that? It was just doing fun find it games, really. And we just got an interesting array of people. And I think that's what changed really the course of history with Nosework because half the people were high level competitive agility people. And the other part of the people were like, uh, retired guide dogs or career change guide dogs. And so it was a really interesting mix. And those people were just so curious about what we did. They kept coming to class. Like we didn't do, there was no odor. We just, I don't know, we spent weeks trying to get them to pick up metal keys and things like that. And just <laughs> That's great. And coming from detection, we spent a long time trying to have them be toy reward dogs. Yeah. And they just weren't. Right. And, you know, we knew that there, I mean, lots of people have used food and detection, but we just, that's kind of when we made that shift, all of a sudden things really opened up because as you all know now very well that you just have to find, I mean, it's the biggest lesson in dog training. It's dog training 101, what's reinforcing for the dog. And if you don't have what's reinforcing, you're not really going to get very far. So, yep. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and then from there, you know, they kept coming to class and, I went and did a uh, John Rogerson, who does these 21 day instructor courses, asked me to come up and help teach the scent discrimination portion of his course. And he said, oh, I want you to help show people what you're doing in detection. And I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to show people in a week how to work with narcotics. No. no. And so he said, well, just use something innocuous. And so that's what led to us exploring essential oils. So we started oh. with rosemary and lavender because they didn't have anise which is what i wanted to use they didn't have it at the store and literally we we did in a week we taught people we did an ort with a vehicle certification and everything we taught people in a week how to wow. how to certify on a vehicle and we did like a mini mock trial and wow so when i came back from that i said to ron and jill we have got to do this odor thing with our people and they were like sure so that's how it started. Wow. It's always amazing how those little things you're like, well, no, let's just do that. And you have a couple of people who are just like, yes, let's. And all of a sudden it's now a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that the people in that early class, because we had a few competitive people in there, as much as they'd all grown to be very supportive of each other, that competitive side sparked the, well, how do we know whose dog can find it faster? Because 
this one's looking for a tennis ball and this one's looking for a hot dog. And it, by having using odor, it levels the playing field in terms of, you know, how well you can hide things and, you know, that every dog's finding the same thing. And, and those people, I really credit the people and you know who you are out there, those people in that early class that drove us to be creative because they just were curious and they kept asking us stuff. And they're like, but how do you get the dog to find cocaine? Like he doesn't care about cocaine. Why would he find it? You know, they wanted, <laughs> they were just asked us questions relentlessly and they, their curiosity is what drove the growth of it. Wow. What a, what a, what a great story. You know, and it's, it's a story that, I mean, I personally, I've never heard it and I know a lot of people haven't. Um, but so many of us have just, we're so emotionally tied to, you know, to nose work and, you know, just kind of hearing the story is, is very special. It's very, very special. You know, it's, it's changed, it's changed the lives of a lot of, a lot of dogs and a lot of people. And, uh, I know for me, absolutely. Right. And, uh, it is really, really special to hear that, hear that story. Absolutely. So my mind's going to the Birchanis Clove, right? <laughs> And it's, yeah, why those? Yeah, yeah. Well, in the in my detection training days, I'd always read little articles about. I don't even know how true this is, you know, because it's all about the information and who tells you. But I'd heard that anise was often used as kind of an evaluation tool, like when you're selecting detection dogs to see if they responded to a novel odor, and so it was an homage to that, you know, kind uh-huh. of. Okay. And it was affordable. And at the time, you know, we didn't find anything that would, there was very little available on what might be toxic for the dogs or troublesome. And we also wanted something that wasn't readily available everywhere that, you know, it's just unusual. And then every time we went to the store, they didn't have the anise. And so literally birch happened just because that was what was available. And same thing with clove. They kept wanting to say, well, if the dog learns how to find cocaine how do they learn marijuana and how do they learn heroin? you know so we were like okay here's how you do it and they yeah we just we just met their curiosity with answers to okay here we're going to add some odors wow wow yeah it's somewhat random other than cost and availability of the odors was the other thing that we wanted to make sure that people could really do it on their own yep so And, you know, the other thing to note about the start, and I don't know if you're going to go into this, but there really wasn't, we didn't say, let's create a dog sport. Mm -hmm. We just said, let's create an outlet for dogs to have fun and for people to learn about this side of their dogs. So it really was all about building who the dog is, you know, and, and as Ron used to say, the dogs are bringing us into their world. You know, so we're really getting to learn how they speak to us and how they see with their doses, basically. And so that was really the what was behind all of the classes. So even though we started to get more competitive once we added the target odors and people started, you know, they wanted a little bit of competition in class, it didn't really change into the sport side of things until we got, you know, about a year after we introduced the odor. Well, it's incredible to just kind of see how far that's gone, you know, Yeah, (laughs) you know, from, from that to, um, you know, I know personally I've competed in eight different summit trials and uh, that's a far cry. That's definitely a far cry. 
I've been working with my dogs with this since 2013, which I know is way later than when when you guys started uh, over on the West Coast. But uh, but just even just seeing how it's changed ever since you know when I started um, is is pretty pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I I, I love it. I love it. It's hard to believe because it was June 2006 that we did our first nosework class. Wow, kind of the formal class, mm-hmm. and then. It was April of 2007 when I did the Rogerson course and I came back and we did the odors and we did a mock competition a couple months later in, I think, June of 2007. And then we had our inaugural competition, August 2008. And then we formed the NACSW 2009. And then we just, it just kept growing. I mean, <laughs> it really the, has, it really has. You know, yeah. what? what's funny to think about is that inaugural trial, we had trouble, you know, getting enough people. We basically took the people who were training in Tustin and the people who were training in <laughs> North Hollywood, people in Pasadena and Long Beach. We brought them all together. And uh, I think we had something like 20 four competitors wow. and was $25 each. And, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and the rule book was four pages long. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a table of contents now. Yeah. They'd never done a vehicle search <laughs> in class and we just threw a vehicle search to them in the trial as a surprise. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's great. That's great. Yeah. That's um, yeah. And yeah. And, and now, I mean, 24 people, I mean, that's, well, and it, it's it's yeah. interesting for me because one of the things that doing the narcotics and explosives work, most of the certifying bodies are just pass fail. Mm-hmm. And um, I just completed a narcotics certification where they assign you points. And it is amazing to me how much that pressure starts going up when there are points assigned on how well you handle your dog. Wow. Right. So Ember passed the certification with my, well, we passed the certification. The only points that got deducted were my handling. <laughs> she was perfect. <laughs> my handling was, yeah, didn't do so awesome. Well, I only lost a couple of points, but um, it is, it's interesting for me at f- coming from this side of it to look at the points assignment and then like Stacy gets done with summit and she's like, well, we had to clear this whole entire thing. They gave us, you know, four minutes to clear it with an unknown number of hides. And I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> there is a little bit of pressure there. Mm-hmm. And, and I a tell people just a little bit. And I tell people a lot who come to me and are like, I want to do search work or I want to do what you do with the narcotics or explosives. I'm like, you know what? Go do nose work. It's actually harder. Well, 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 except for the pressure with the explosives. I mean, well, you know, people, but people won't die if you, and the other thing, well, well, including yourself. I mean, right. you know, but yeah. And, and I do appreciate the opportunity that it gives people who want to do nose work with their dog, something fun to go do. And, you know, you don't have to walk through a hundred degree heat and get bit by ticks and all sorts of things. And I I so greatly appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is when you work, I I mean, I loved my detection career. I, I had I certified many times, not just my own dog with my own dogs, but with other dogs that I handled also. So I worked 
narcotics for a long time. That's where my start was. And then explosives. And then, you know, obviously with different dogs, but um, it's such a different energy. Like people think it's glamorous a lot of times, or they used to, but it's a, it's a really brutal business for those of you who do professional work out there. It's, it's really hard work and it's very hard to, the handling is very hard because of the scenarios that you're going into. So just, you know, you can't use all your favorite gear. You're, you might be like searching in your steel toed boots with your fire retardant coveralls and your safety goggles and your hard hat and, you know, all your gear on you. And you, you're not wearing your training vest and having your best leash and all that kind of stuff, you know? Correct. Well, uh, color matched. You you forgot the, 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 the color match. Yeah. Right. No. I mean, not to diminish that. I mean, well, I, no, no, no. I I have a special color for every dog. I mean, you know, let's let's be real. I mean, Brava's hot pink, right? Powder's purple. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And and you know what? It is harder in a lot of ways. You know, obviously the stakes are very real for a lot for certain certain detection disciplines, and and the stakes might be you know obvi- it's obvious for something like explosives for narcotics. So, you know, there could be a risk to your dog. You know, getting exposure and. Uh, you know, ecological, it could be that you're damaging a, you know, endangered species, you know, what there's dangers, however you look at different things that we're exposed to, but the pressure is probably more in professional, uh, you know, client-based than, you know, no one's saying you have three minutes. Like, yes. Good luck. Good luck. The bomb's going to go off if you don't find it. Like that's what <laughs> knows where competition yeah. feels like very stressful in comparison. In a, for t- entirely different reasons. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And, you know, we debated at the time we started, should we do the pass fail, like you title or not? And we we gambled and decided to go with the placements, which in some ways it's a it's a blessing and a curse. Right. Because people it gives you that carrot that you you know, that's dangled in front of you. It gives you a, something to achieve. But you add some subjectivity, all of a sudden it's like, how do you define even those handling points that you were talking about for your certifications? Like those are, that's where it gets a little sticky. I, I think that's why a lot of people never did any competition for scent work other than tracking or utility or things like that before, because it's it, it's not like in obedience or agility, they either went over the jump or they didn't. And there's a time. But I they mean, hit a context right. or all that sort. The in the thing that happens in in my world is the apprenticeship process for your judges or evaluators or examining officials or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Actually, is you know at this particular exam, I had like five apprentice examiners following me around as well as the actual judges. And so that is a whole logistics issue because I, I look at what you guys, you know, Stacy's talking about summits and I look at the trials that happen here. I'm in Iowa, right? So I didn't even know anything about nose work existed because <laughs> everything has to come from the coasts to get to us. Uh, so, <laughs> gravitating. So like decades later, decades later. And <laughs> so to watch the logistics and finding judges and um, certifying officials, if I get the name wrong, all of those people to make a trial happen is a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a really complex process, what goes into a trial. I mean, I'm so grateful that 
so many people got on board with us. You know, I, I really, this is a sport. The sport side of things was really built by the people and the users. They've helped really drive what it is by, you know, being so willing to help out and share and these trial hosts that find the locations and get gather all these volunteers. Like that's, I mean, when we started out, remember we, we didn't start out to create a dog sport. So we didn't really think about how we were going to make sure that trials met a certain standard nationwide or internationally for that matter. Now it's looking, you know, we've expanded so much. So, you know, those are the challenges for us is how to scale up in a way that meets some standard and upholds our underlying mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I think you've done a really super job at that, honestly. Um, I've lost count of the amount of trials I've been in just because I'm I'm on my sixth dog right now. So um, it, it's, I'm in the triple digits. Let's just say that I'm well into the triple digits. And, you know, it. the trials are really well run. And um, right now, actually, I'm working with a friend of mine. We're, we're looking into trying to find some trial sites ourselves. And uh, it, I mean, it is, there's a whole lot of work in, that goes into it. But I, I think from a competitor perspective, the the experience is just so incredible that that's part of what keeps us coming back. You know, it, it's it's a very special thing. Um, I know when I first started, uh, you know, I had this very sensitive dog that just really struggled in a lot of other sports. And everybody's like, you know, you should try this nose work thing. And I'm like, I was kind of listening. I'm like, eh, I don't know. It, it, that sounds kind of boring. I hate to say it. Or it is, that is what I thought. Um, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I just tried it. And it was like this switch turned on in my dog. And he went from being kind of like, yeah, well, you know, poor Judd to like, whoa, well, well, yeah, well, that's Judd, you know, and and it was just this incredible transformation that the dog made and seeing that transformation in him. And I know a lot of us who have gone through that same type of a situation where we see our dog transform. And for us, because we love our dogs so much, we just want to do it more. And then we're like, oh, well, well now I want to, I want to do this again. And so we take our next dog through and every journey is just so different and just so special. So, you know, I, I know there are many of us that are eternally grateful for the fact that this is out there for for us to do with our dogs. And it, it is just really fantastic, you know. Um, I guess, you know, what we're, we're always kind of thinking is like, well, you know, and maybe, I don't know if you can even answer this, but kind of like, what's next? next. Like every, every time we... <laughs> That's what kept going through my head. I'm like, oh, oh, oh something amazing just kind of shows up and, you know, and I, you know, I've gone through a lot of it where I, when I started NW3 was the highest level, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I knew people they are like, oh, well, I'm done. I have my NW3 elite. And next thing you know, they're like, oh, there's this new elite thing. And then we had nationals and now we have summit. And, um, and it's just really, it's just really kind of, kind of cool, you know? So, and again, well, I don't we, know if you can answer that, but would love to know if, you know, if you have any ideas that- I can just say we have plans. And so they're, (laughs) and, and, you know, they aren't always sort of a grand new thing, right. But we're always looking at the supply demand of what's out there and how to keep the membership happy and to think about where the bulk of those members lie and, you know, what can reach the most people and make stuff available to them. So that's what we're looking at. And, you know, and it's amazing. We have, an incredible trial staff, which has been led for so many years by Wendy Crable, but everybody who is involved is so 
such a competitor themselves and and their teachers and they just love it. And so, you know, they're really in the trenches. It isn't just these decisions aren't being made by just some business person who. Yeah, that much is clear. Yeah. yeah, it's never been about a bottom line dollar for us. We would have designed a way different model if we were out to make money. <laughs> so, um, you know, and I think the the other thing that's kind of interesting that you talk about, I, I love hearing your story of your dog's transformation because that to me speaks to the heart of what NACSW is. And yeah. And I think what a lot of people don't know, because once there's all these other venues, it's just, it's apples and oranges, like, we, we always knew that there would be other sport venues. We never minded that there, mm-hmm. you know, that the, if they're different enough, that's a good thing because our venues and things that make our sport what it is are have to meet certain requirements that maybe another sport venue doesn't have to do. So if there's lots of different opportunities out there, it's, that's not a bad thing. But I think sometimes what people don't realize and why I keep saying, you know, we didn't start out as a sport is that what we wanted to do was provide an opportunity for a lot of dogs who had nowhere else to go to have. Yeah. And I don't mean like the broken or misfit dogs. No, no, just, no, 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 like, no, not at all. Like just all. could be retired detection dogs or just, you know, for whatever reason, they just, they're the people, what draws people to nose work sort of strikes a different chord than maybe some of the other sports. And, you know, that, I mean, the whole reason we started our instructor program is that, when we started doing this, people were curious and they said, well, how do you do it? You know, and we, Ron and I were teaching so much, we needed help. So we created, in order to give somebody the credentials we had, like as professionals, we kind of put them through the rigors of doing a certain number of hours and things so that other people would be willing to have them as instructors. And then that the instructor program sort of came out of that. But I think what people don't really understand about our certified nosework instructor program is we were always trying to make sure as it grew that people stayed supportive of the dog's needs that yeah, that yeah. we that was such an important piece of our mission was to to uh, the whole way that we do things cuz obviously you guys know that there's a zillion ways to approach training a detection dog but our mission was always about casting the widest net to of skills and abilities between handlers and dogs that the approach that we use is you don't need skills. You don't need to have good training chops or great timing because all of the self-reward things that we do when we start dogs on searching for their toy or food is so that they're intrinsically motivated so that they learn for themselves, you know, how to discover at their own pace what it is to search. And that's what we're really tapping into. And, you know, when we talk to detection people, we say, when you're looking for, a, when you talk to anybody about like selection of a working canine, they'll say, well, I want an independent, confident dog who's really driven for his toy or his food. Well, that's what we're trying to do in our intro classes. We're trying to bring out the inner dog of these dogs who have maybe had different life experiences. Mm-hmm. And even when you have people who have those dogs who come into classes, getting everybody on this part of like starting everybody at the same place, even with the experienced dogs is that you build a culture of mutual support. Like Ron always used to say, it's not your dog who's doing the search. It's our dog. Like we're all invested in how your dog is doing when we watch. And I think that's a big part of what was behind 
what we were hoping to to build in terms of just being a little different than maybe some some other sports have turned out. Yeah. You know, I look, I look at actually a dog that I literally just took out into his first elite trial. I guess it was uh, last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, he is my 11 and a half year old miniature American Shepherd who Aww. started nose work in 2014. And, you know, it's it, when we start thinking about the dog's journey and uh, and how it is about, you know, helping that dog to just kind of become right just kind of think of it in terms of like just the dog just kind of becomes uh, you know what they can you know like something special that's up up like beyond their kind of where their initial life experiences kind of help them to start out at i mean i remember oh gosh he had a hard time searching three boxes in his front yard i mean he's a really really environmentally sensitive dog and then to see him go we were we were at a uh, a museum a fire a firehouse museum and we had this big surge ahead. I think we had what, six and a half minutes. So this is all these like antique fire trucks. And it was a really, really cool search area. And to see that little dog tool around at the end of my leash for, you know, for like, well, six minutes or whatever. And we found seven out of eight of the hides and he mm-hmm. he just had a blast. I couldn't keep up with him half the time. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, and you just kind of see dogs just kind of blossom in that. And, and for me, that's, it's really special because I mean, yeah, I do have a, I have a few purpose-bred dogs, but you don't have to have that. Yeah. Um, and Robin and I, we've talked a lot about this because a lot of the experience that she has with search and rescue is you have a lot of dogs that also come from different types of backgrounds that may not be, um, you know, selected, you know, for that type of a job. And we've had a lot of conversations about that. And, and having the ability for, people who don't have the training chops and a common place for them to start is really, really key on creating that inclusive atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the things that's been really fun for me to come from the working dog world into nose work is that everybody is very supportive of each other. And kudos to the creation of that atmosphere, because that's actually kind of hard to do. (laughs) Yeah, 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 it's definitely, you know, not what you always see in other dog sports. So and, and I love that piece that is is really about letting the dogs be the star of the show and kind of. Look, we all have the there's no denying the human ego. If I if I enter any competition with my dog, I, I want to place first. Of course well, of I want to do really do, well. Right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. I mean, I'm not yeah. denying any of that, but yeah. you know, if you train with a group of people, if I'm not first place, if I take second, at least let my friend who I trade with <laughs> take first, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like you, I love when there's that kind of group support. And um it is such a, you know, coming from the detection world, as you were saying, Robin, it's hard to figure out how to get people to understand the perspective of what detection people might recommend. Like, it's not like, oh, there's the weak and sheltered dogs. And then there's the pro performance dogs. It really, it's all the same. I mean, Ron used to start every instructor course saying, we don't teach the dog anything. Sorry, people get your ego out of the way. Like they came (laughs) Born knowing how to use their nose. Like if they're not doing it, it's because 
you've inhibited them or the environment's inhibiting them. Like get your ego out of it. Like, and he didn't say, he said it much nicer than that, but in (laughs) essence, he, you know, he was like, don't take credit for what mother nature already put into the dog. And all we have to do is provide the right atmosphere for that dog to be able to blossom. And that's what I, I really like to see. And that's the hardest thing for me as the sport has attracted a lot of detection people and we have wonderful people out there who are judging for us and who who have wonderful things to contribute. But I also sometimes worry the protective side of me thinks, you know, not not all the dogs are going to be ready for some of the technique that maybe gets applied that is appropriate for the purpose-bred dog, but maybe is a little bit too much pressure. It's sort of skewing what is great about the relationship between the dog and handler that I feel personally kind of protective about, but I just have to trust that if we've built things the right way, that people are educated and they will make good choices. Mm -hmm. That that's a really good way of putting it. Um, and what, what's also very interesting because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm coming from the nose work side and we have, a, we have, have a certain way that we tend to handle it. So a lot of it's very dog driven and everything. And I've gotten to know, you know, Robin really, really well. And, you know, and when I see her handle, it's very close to what we do because there's a lot of that search and rescue type of uh, influence. And it, it's just, it's just kind of this cool thing. It's like, I'm starting to see different facets of it. Um, I mean, for me, it's just been, you know, for, that's just been an educational journey in and of itself. But, um, it, you know, it, it is just really cool to see the, see the dog when you have a dog that um, maybe needs a little bit more independence or, and, or, and it's not even just like, you know, the dogs that are just kind of environmental and then you have the purpose bread. There's a whole lot of dogs in between, you know, right, and, right. and how, and it's just really cool to just see, you know, all the breeds do it, you know, it's, you know, the Chihuahua, the Great Dane, everything in between, you know. And then learning how your guys' odor moves is, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Because, yeah. and the fun thing has been when Stacy's out here. So if you're ever going through Iowa and you want to stop at the home for wayward dog trainers, please feel free. <laughs> um, and to have your nose work friends start placing your narcotics and your explosive hides <laughs> and me starting to place their hides, it really, really makes you analyze how, and be very aware about how different odors do move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And the cool part is sometimes we have them all out there at once. So yes. it's been an incredible <laughs> proofing opportunity. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, these <laughs> these essential oils are completely different than say ammonium nitrate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. the bane of most explosive dog handlers yes. existence yes. is yes. ammonium nitrate for everybody. Yes. <laughs> that, that that was the um um Oklahoma City, right? With the Yes. Ooh, yeah, yeah. And and it, it ammonium nitrate ages and it does actually it reminds me more of cadaver dog work than it does of bomb dog work, just because oh, that um it structurally seems to change over time. Oh. So it ages. I don't know. That's a chemist question. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, um, okay, Amy, if you had to make an ask, like, do you want more judges? Do you want more certifying officials? Do you want more instructors? What do you want? More trial hosts. <laughs> trial hosts. More. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, I, I swear, I'm looking for, we're looking for uh right here's why because people want trial so much and the thing is look i care about everything i i want there to be education i want there to be more classes but 
the trials kind of drive the interest. They're like the advertisement for making it popular so that people want to do it, which means there's more classes, more instructors, et cetera. And, um, and, you know, I think people don't realize it's really only hard to host the first time because you're getting familiar with it, but we do so much work behind the scenes to make it doable for, for somebody. We, we have a whole entry thing behind the scenes. So you don't even have to take checks if you don't want to, you know, it, it goes right into our database. So you don't have to, you know, collect information. Like it, it's very, you know, we print the scorecards for everybody. There, we have so much documentation and we have an amazing trial staff of people that walk you through the whole process. So it's just, if you find that location, if you know somebody who has this kind of location, you know, we just, it has to be navigable by people to walk around, you know, to be able to manage getting around the site and has to have bathrooms or porta potties. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's finding those trial sites and just talking to people, you know, and a lot of times there might be a local dog trainer near you who's very willing to host it if you find the location. So if people kind of teamed up a little bit more and a lot of times uh, people need help trying to figure out how to find a location because they just go out there and say like, we want to do this dog thing. And the owner of the property imagines pet expo, right? They don't really realize (laughs) it's, it's a really organized event. And these dogs are, it, you know, it's an immaculate kind of operation in terms of people just pick up everything and they're, it's very controlled. And sometimes you can bring a demo dog and show them what it looks like or show them some videos. So anyway, that's, that's one of my asks. Do you, do you need a certain amount of space or um, all of those sorts, you know, this is your commercial. There's a lot of information on the website about that um, in terms of there's a whole like how to host area. So there's all sorts of specifics that tell you, you know, if you think about it, you, okay, like even just the fact that an NW1 trial has about 50 competitors. So you need a parking lot that's going to hold 50 people and more than probably one porta potty, you know. Right. For, <laughs> okay. You know, hopefully. So, um, and then it's just thinking about, you know, the, I think the hardest thing compared to agility is you have to have things that are out of view from where people are parked. So adding that vehicle search in there definitely adds a problem because now you're looking at a second place that vehicles can be parked that's out of view of the parking lot. It's probably why some of the other venues haven't done vehicle searches. Mm-hmm. So, you know, interesting. That kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Cause um, I think about how, you know, we even just set up the one trial and the narcotics trial that we just did and it was okay. This is how everybody has to be staged. And the cars were in a certain around the corner of the building where nobody else could see. And getting cars seems to be the eternal issue with practically every mm-hmm, detection mm-hmm. dog thing. Yes, yes. Well, and you know, the detection trials that I used to do, usually there were anywhere from 27 to I don't know, 40 competitors, I would say, the ones that I went to. And you do all your searches at once. So like I waited in the parking lot four and a half hours before it was yes. my turn. Whoa. Yeah. And then you just run your dog and then wow. you're done. And then you're done. Yeah. You, you've got like three minutes and you're done. Wow. Well, that's kind of like if you have a bitch in season, right? So it's kind of like you have to run at the end and do everything. Boop, 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 you know, Which, by the way, I yeah. love the fact that we have that opportunity when we have a, you know, female. Yes. Yeah. I have three, I have three girls. So it's, yeah. 
Hey, yeah. I don't even think they should run at the end, but you know, that's just my, I was um, like, Hey, I, I totally but. am in agreement with you. Um, yep, we, yep. for any of the detection dog work stuff that I do, including all of the search and rescue work, we're like, bring, bring the girls out when they're in full season, because when we show up, you mm-hmm, never know mm-hmm. if there's right. a female in season, the dogs have to work through it. Right. Right. Um, you know, I wish the hunt test world would actually get yeah. on with that. At least let the females run at the end of the day. Yeah. And they really only have to run at the end of the search. It's not the whole day. Because, yeah. yeah. You know, but but still, uh, you know, but I also wouldn't want somebody not to title because they have the one dog who's been used as a stud many times and they, you know. Correct. Just, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, right now that's where it stands. But I mean, I train, I, I welcome bitches in season to my classes. We we love it. We put them right in the middle of the running order. Everybody wants to run after them for practice. That's you know, in great. class. That's I mean, I, yeah, I showed up at Robin's the, the first time we were going to, I'm like, hey, can I, I'm going to come get some coaching. And I show up and I'm like, um, Brava's in season. And she goes, oh, good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she's like, well, well I'll great. run Dash right after you run Brava. I'm like, well, you know, I'm getting her panties. I'm just like, no, 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 skip the panties, skip the panties. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. That sounds good. Um, so she went in the nude and uh, Brava, not Robin. And uh, <laughs> that would have been scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, well, it, it, what time? I was going to say, was it warm? Was it cold? I was trying to remember. It was warm. Anyway, it was warm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, we did that for Dash and, you know, it's everybody's like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. He'd never been used as a stud dog at that point. Now it might be a little bit different, True. but he worked right through it. It can be trained. We've put, I've put on seminars where there was a, a bitch in season and it turned out to be very difficult for some of the dogs that were running after them. And what we actually started doing some interesting things and found out it actually became much more of a problem from the handlers who started projecting that they were going to have issues. And then they blamed all of the issues from the distraction of the in heat dog Mm. onto them instead of their dog actually not being not working. Well, funny that you say that because uh, one of my staff people said, and she has a, a female you know, that she said, I don't want to be the one blamed. So I'm yeah. I'm happy to run at the end. She goes, I, I don't really care one way or the other, but she said, I don't want to have somebody blame me because they didn't title. So yes. I'm happy to just leave it the way it is because of that. And that's fine. I think that that's, that's fair. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. What, what's interesting is over, I was talking to some people, I was in Norway right before I, it was before uh, COVID and we were running dogs, right? And what was interesting was that the dogs that it wasn't the the bitches that were the issue. It was actually the neutered males. Because interesting. Nothing is spayed or neutered over there, right? So when the dogs smell, nobody wanted to run after the neutered male. Because <laughs> they're like, <laughs> all the dogs were all interested in the neutered male because it was different, you know. And it was just really kind of eye-opening to me. I'm like, wow, I never yeah. really thought about that. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. And I think there's a lot of confirmation bias or superstitions that, yeah. that apply to all nose work trials. I mean, people get really 
intensely interested in what the distractions were, what the distractors were in container searches. And, you know, a lot of times it's not actually about the distractor. It's either a lack of exposure to novelty or it's a trapping odor issue because, you know, they aren't training where containers have been sitting out for eight hours. You know, they're coming to class and only training it that way. And it's just an exposure thing a lot of times for, you know, and it's amazing what, you know, nerves do competition nerves. I mean, I really feel for people. I, I, I pass no judgment. I mean, my heart goes out to people who absolutely it's, you know, because you, you know, you think about why you go out in competition. I mean, no one goes out to compete and wants to not do well. I mean, you, you are competing because you know that you've achieved a certain level of teamwork and you want to kind of show it off. And so then when it doesn't go well, it just feels really yucky. You feel like, you know, people didn't get to see you at your best and they didn't get to see your dog, you know, and it, it just, uh, it gets really demoralizing for people. So where they finally got off that wait list. Yeah. They finally got off that wait list and they go and, you know, I mean, how many, that's, that's happened to everybody. You get off that wait list, right. And your first call is a no. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, man. That's rough. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the hardest thing is just to be forgiving of yourself and the dogs. Like Absolutely. this is just the nature of your work. You know, you look at a lot of other sports. Like I have a, a friend who does um, uh, sharp shooting, you know, competitively and, you know, you're in control. You don't, you're not in control of the environmental conditions, but the gun is not, it doesn't have a mind of its own, you know, and <laughs> yeah. that's yes. the hard part about competing in, in something where you have this other, not only the environment out of your control, but you have this other living being who has its wants, its needs, its stresses, just like you. Yeah. And, yeah. and you have this symbiotic relationship that has all sorts of cause and effect to each other that, you know, it, that's the whole you know, magic dust part of that. yeah the the magic black box yeah yeah <laughs> yeah 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 and and yeah and, and my experience is like most of the mistakes that are made they're they're me anyway so it's just absolutely that again you know, if if we could just harness the whole you know I've started coming up with the whole concept of for certifications because I get really really nervous. And it all runs down the leash. And my dogs are like, what rock did you crawl out from under? You you smell weird. Exactly. Stop it. And they don't, they really frown on the whole, have a margarita before you certify things. So I can't take that option. So my, my biggest thread has always started being my dog just needs to have fun. Yeah. If I make sure my dog has fun, then we do, we tend to clean up everything else. And I actually have my brain. So I I appreciate the trial nerves. And I love the fact that everybody's so supportive. And I enjoy the fact that however you want to label them, that reactive dogs can play this game. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Because I think that that is for the owners, it helps inspire them to um, be able to work and do other things with their dog than just leaving it home and almost like secluding itself. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely tapped into a 
challenging part for us to to decide to be inclusive of those dogs. I mean, that there's a lot of risk that comes with that, obviously. There is. Yeah. But what's what we found back to our early classes is that many of these dogs who and, and we're talking mild reactivity, you know, that things that right. could get right. you a dismissal in another sport, but really the dog just needed uneventful exposure. So the yeah. dog needed mm-hmm. to just come and have, oh, I get to do this fun thing I like, and a dog just walked by. Oh, I get to do this fun thing I like, and a dog just walked by. And then over time, they just get really neutralized, right, to the things that were previously the triggers and different emotional associations are built. And that's the beauty of nose work when it really, it does its own behavior modification without us having to do anything. It's just we're just using the wiring that's already in the brain to form new connections. And so I, you know, what I love is that there it's it's this place that dogs who, because of how we have to sequester the trial site and keep things out of view, you can actually manage a lot of that for the dogs. Like that's that's why these dogs could come to class because not everyone's sitting there holding their dogs, sitting at their side, waiting for their search in front of other dogs. Like right, you know, right, right. I mean, right. really, we didn't want the dogs rehearsing searches, watching other dogs search. We wanted the dogs to go back and have that good latent learning and be in their dog crates resting in between times they had to work. And that's just the perfect environment for dogs who have reactivity that they could go to a class. And we we tried in the beginning to make that work at trial. And um, we've done our best to, you know, we I think we have to be careful. Like, we, you know, reactivity was always really about uh, reactivity to other dogs, yes, not right, towards not humans, right? Yeah, correct. And, but, but in a class or a private lesson setting, you know, those were, can actually have a really great effect for dogs that have all sorts of issues. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I look at my little, little, little miniature American Shepherd. I, I told you about his name is Y. So Y is <laughs> dog reactive, right? And, and it, it's out of fear. Because yeah. he's afraid he's going to get jumped. Yeah. So if I were to take him for a walk in the neighborhood, right, and he sees another dog, he's he's going to lose his stuff, right? He's going to get upset. But if I take him to a nose work trial, he knows it's a safe environment. He's not reacting to other dogs. He might do a couple barks out of excitement, but is barking to the air. It's not barking at anything. And, uh, and it's just, it's just really cool to see him just come out and be, be confident. He's, he's been like just a, a completely different dog actually this year. It's, it's yeah. kind of like the first 10 years of his life. He's like, all right, I was, I was, I was a chicken in those first 10 years. Now, now I'm, now I got guts. And now, be a dog. Yeah. Now well, and, and, and how nice that you get to share your dog with people and get him out there. And, you know, you kind of hit on something that, um, you know, people, not everybody really understands the whole red bandana thing or yeah. the idea of the reactivity at the NACSW trials. And it's really a matter of, you know, Wendy Crable put it well once she she had a reactive dog when she started. And she said, you know, as long as I had my toy, I could keep him occupied, like to walk through the parking lot and get to the search area. But she said, the reason I could participate and I could relax is that I the rules of the organization, I could count on the fact that other people were going to be asked to keep their dog to themselves and not like let their dog run out on a flexi lead into our space. And so just the fact that there was just more sort of management of just structure, structure that that allowed a dog who otherwise might not be able to play was able to participate. 
Yeah. So, and I think, I think it's good for the dog actually Absolutely. to not yes. have to worry about. I mean, the thing is that you have a dog that's searching for an important resource. And so why even bring out that threat of the resources by having other dogs in their space? You know, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. So I, I think it's actually great for all dogs. It's not just the, the dogs. <laughs> yeah. are, I like the word more reactionary because it's, it's not, because I think people start to throw around the word reactive and it's, I know. it gets, it gets like <laughs> overblown. It's yes. Like, yes. Well, my dog's just saying, Hey, over there, just you stay over there. I'm over here. Yeah. We're good. You know? Um, so, you know, but, but it is, it's, it's important for all the dogs because, right. And, and then you were mentioning people having like if if one dog watched another dog search. I don't know about you, but I've I've got three really smart girls. They'd remember. Oh They'd yeah, remember. she'd be like, oh, that's where that hide is. I don't even need to find it anymore. I'll just go over there. You know, we're talking about my dog that learned how to do air retrieve by picking her up under my arm and say, you know, here, he's <laughs> dog diving. Right? You see that? You just leap out. You grab that, and we're all good. And she's like, got it. You know, so. <laughs> That's funny. Well, and I I enjoy the fact that you guys have created a atmosphere and I actually encourage people who, especially college students, they want to do detection work. They want to go do the professional detection work. I was like, you know what? Do you have a pet dog? They're like, yes. Like go do nose work. You will learn a whole bunch of stuff that will apply if you want to go into or have the opportunity because I'll be honest, people, you really don't get paid that much to go do the professional detection dog thing. Um, you'll learn a whole bunch that will benefit you later. Yeah. yeah. And it fits in with your lifestyle. Well, and and for detection people, look, you know, because I always had purpose-bred dogs my in my detection career, I can't tell you, I feel like I'm 10 times the trainer I was when I was only detection. Nose work dogs have taught me so much. There's Absolutely. things that I, I see yep. so much more clearly now or understand because of what these nose work dogs have taught me. And yes. I think if you're really open to that, you're all of your training will improve because as Ron said, they, you know, they're bringing you into their world. If you're really willing to look and listen, you're going to be a student of the dog. And yeah. and I totally agree with you as an instructor and a teacher and a trainer, the hard dogs, whether you're they're your dogs or somebody else's dogs, you know, teach you so much because that handler and that dog might go home for the night. I'm pondering for the next 3 days how I can get this concept or how do I really pull out that inner monster that's in that dog when we haven't been able to make that connection yet. Yeah. 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 And you know, you, you can't make a dog search. No, (laughs) no, (laughs) no, no. It's such a funny thought. Like, you know, it's just, it's so different than a lot of other things that we're doing with the dogs that, you know, it's, it's so intangible how we define it. And we, we have to go with what they show us about what their world says, you know? Yeah. And it's easy to squash that if you're not careful too. So it is, you know, it's, it's one thing not to make them, but you can also like, just make it so aversive to the dog. Just, just even like if the dog just says, Oh, you, you want to take over a little bit too much? Well, you will find, you go find the thing and I'll, I'll wait over Mm -hmm, here, mm -hmm. you know, go for it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so much about the, the 
also the way the dog's living their life and their relationship with you and their learning history. And I think, you know, that's the difference really from the professional detection dogs whose whole purpose has been with that trajectory and also has been genetically selected for that. And, and, and then Robin knows, I'm sure you do too, Stacey. I mean, how many washout detection dogs there are just incredible, like huge, huge numbers, you know, and, uh, a lot of them would make great nose work dogs. And it's not because they're yeah. lesser dogs. They might just be washing out for a very particular reason, you know, like a rubble pile or, yeah. you know, slippery floors or whatever. They they don't happen to like playing in the way that the people, I mean, we wash many dogs out of the FEMA system because they don't like to play tug. Right. That's starting to change, but it, it's because we're trying to dictate how the dog gets reinforced. And there are people who, and, you know, in the professional detection dog world, select dogs for a specific method. But mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. you're working nose work dogs and even search mm-hmm. and rescue dogs, those people bring their own dogs. Yeah. You don't get to make that choice. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it's yeah. it's interesting. I did a, a lecture at CNCA that was called the dog for the job. And it and I had surveyed a lot of the nosework community about why did you pick your dog? Oh my gosh, the answers were really <laughs> funny. But it was just reminding everybody in this lecture, like you chose your dog for a really different purpose. So don't try to put the square peg in the round hole, like oh, yeah. try to embrace who that dog is. And the more, I mean, to me, that's the beauty of nosework is that, you know, they don't have to do a vehicle search on the side of the highway you know, and do it on a one foot leash. They, you know, we could take two years to make them comfortable with vehicles. You know, we could just, and they might end up being just as good as some other dog, but Uh it's a whole different timeline and it's a different purpose. And it's just constantly remembering why this dog is in your life and who they are to you. And, and, you know, that's where I know, you know, that we're all trying to make sure that we keep reminding ourselves of that, even when the pressure's on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just looking back at Judd, I got him because he could get along with my poodle. So <laughs> that, yeah. was, I mean, that was like sole selection criteria. I could lure him into a sit with a cookie and he liked the poodle. Yeah, <laughs> so that, that was, was it. That was it, you know. But, you know, the cool part is, is like, yeah, you know, no, you don't have to search the vehicle on the side of the highway. But, you know, if you want to keep going in this sport, you want to keep learning. I mean, last year, I definitely checked a box on my bucket list when I got to search the inside of a 737 because that was, I have to say, the coolest thing I have ever done in my life. I haven't even got to do that. And and we we did find all three hides. I was really proud of Bravo, but I was like, whoa, I had just reached the next level of coolness. Like, this is just amazing. So, Amy, one of the things that we ask everybody is... If you had to explain what you do to your mom and dad, what do they think you do? <laughs> well, both <laughs> my parents have passed away, but um, they were very intelligent people. So they understood that I, you know, and they were animal lovers. And my dad especially loved dogs immensely. And they appreciated the intelligence of dogs. So they understood that I... I not only trained dogs, but that I worked in partnership to, you know, find illegal substances using the power of the dog. And they were just amazed that I had learned to do that. You know, they were very supportive of it and proud of it for sure. And 
they they were especially heartwarmed that I took that knowledge and with Ron and Jill, like built something that was able to reach a lot of people and a lot of dogs in a really good way. Yeah. That's Fantastic. Beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. So Stacy, if you want to go first, we can let Amy think. What's one thing you want everybody to take away from this particular conversation? Uh, I think it's really important for people to really stay connected with where this sport came from and and really that the soul of it and and how it really is about that connection to with your dog and and really to do something that's just not something that you could do really with any other any other sport out there and and for me it's just beautiful and the, I I hope everybody takes that away from this conversation and that's my takeaway. Uh, my takeaway is the Amy, what you were talking about with how Ron was saying the dogs are now inviting us into their world and how we, we are through their nose now getting to do this really fantastic thing, whether you're doing competition level stuff or you're doing professional detection stuff and respecting that the fact that the animal gets to choose the reinforcer is highly important. So that was my big thing. Yeah. Um, I, I love both of those things. And definitely you're hitting on a takeaway for me, for sure. And I, I'm so grateful of those lessons from Ron Gaunt and Jill Marie O'Brien. To, and I'm so glad that we, as business partners, all had the love of dogs with that same mission. And I think to just remember to be in the present with your dog, to really be in the moment that whether you're trialing or you're training or you've just adopted the dog is to remember that they're the product of all their learning experiences and to not really hold on to the baggage, but to be with them with where they are right now. And, and that'll just serve you across many levels. And I think it's such a valuable handling, you know, philosophy to apply and uh, one that might free you up. Amy, thank you so much for spending this time with us. We greatly appreciate you. Um, I know you're off to go do something fantastic. And we're going to have all of Amy's contact info in the show notes. Um, So if you can trial with her or train with her, that'd be fantastic. We're also going to include the link on being a host for a trial because people need to do that. So make sure to check out the Canine Detection Collaborative website, and um, we will chat with you next time. Canine Detection Collaborative! We appreciate the time you spend with us. If you liked this episode, not only should you follow us so you don't miss the next one, but please also rate and review us in your favorite podcast app. For info on collaborating with us, go to K9DetectionCollaborative.com. That's K9DetectionCollaborative.com, where you can find our socials and pick up our latest monthly freebie. Join us again to talk training in the next episode.